1: On this podcast, we're going to take a deep dive into the traits, values, beliefs, and skills of all sorts of entrepreneurs to learn how to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient world. Let's get started. Ty, Dayan, welcome to
2: the show. Good to be here, and hi, Jolly.
1: Yeah, thanks for being on the show. You are the co-founder and CEO of Rhino Health, which is doing some like fascinating things. Related to federated computing and using AI to unlock data silos. I mean, I read this, I looked at this, I'm like, I have no idea what this is, but I want to know what this is. <laughs> because as everyone knows, you know, I was in the digital health space and I, uh, I'm very fascinated by how we can use technology to help the healthcare system. Uh, and most other people also know that the reason why I had it real vested interest in it was because my wife, my late wife now, had leukemia and she died six years ago from it. And our experience with the whole health system made me just double down on trying to fix it. (laughs) So um, what you're doing seems just super cool. But uh, before we dig into what Rhino Health is doing and how you're going to change the world, which I I hope you will, I think you can. Um, Why don't you tell us how you got to do what you're doing today?
2: Sure. So um, once upon a time, I was a doctor. And then I went to work for Boston Consulting Group and learned about all the kind of like the problem space of the healthcare system and kind of like all the stuff that needs to be fixed. And I also learned about the value and potential value of artificial intelligence and data analytics in doing that. I went forward to Mass General Brigham, where I led a center for developing AI software as medical device solutions, and kind of trying to solve these uh, healthcare gaps and kind of from one hospital that would then uh, license technology to industry in order to disseminate that technology further. And that was really exciting, great period of my, ta- my life. It did also show me that at the end of the day, when you're working on data silos of one institution, even if it's a large institution, you're still limited and kind of, you don't know what you don't know about what's going on outside that. And that got me interested in the whole idea of uh, federating data and federated uh, learning. I did a um, large international study using the federated learning uh, framework uh, for NVIDIA, which is called Clara at the time, like a rudimentary platform for federated learning. Uh, Federated learning is in essence, train an AI algorithm on multiple data silos while only sharing kind of components of the algorithm, not the underlying data and somehow making it into one better global algorithm. Um, so I proving that that technique can help you unlock data silos faster with kind of less uh, risk and less uh, kind of like less issues around trust and sharing data. Um, and I, I asked you know, folks from NVIDIA, are, are you going to take this platform kind of like turn it into a commercial hardened platform. They said, well, probably not, but maybe you should. And so I I decided to do that. I left my last job and uh, started Rhino Health, uh, joined my co-founder Yuval Baral, who was a Googler and kind of a a very deep tech guy. I wasn't a deep tech guy at the time. And we we were raised we raised money at the best time ever to raise money. It was like the end of 2020 then started the company and kind of like launched it in 2021. Went out of uh, left stealth and kind of really got going. Uh, we've raised another round since then and. Um, disseminated the platform for uh, to a few dozens of healthcare institutions worldwide, some early commercial customers like pharma customers, professional societies, uh, tech partners and some others. So today we have uh, over 150 uh, users over 30 projects uh, running in, on the platform, etc. Oh, like still early, but you know, starting to reach PMFs. Um, the platform itself does this federated learning process, but it also does what happens before that and what happens after that. So from data discovery and ingestion, data mapping and harmonization, modeling. Uh, deployment analytics and retraining, So kind of like tile, uh, uh, spectrum of course, uh, data science and AI. Uh, it's a platform for developers and builders. So it's not like a no code, low code, it's like for coders and people who are building pipelines and building visualization, kind of like anything you need to do in order to leverage that. And the ultimate goal is to become a platform which applications uh, that use AI and data analytics are built on with us intermediating the uh, mediating the federated data, meaning data that's not sitting in one place, and helping the application access that data in a seamless way. Um, it's an idea that's to be honest, I'm not sure if it's completely novel, like the idea that like heavy data and private data how tough to share it is not something new. And there's been also sorts of like different approaches towards that. We came into the market in a time where um, the technology was convergent, the customer need was more convergent than it was in the past, and the regulation was more permissive, uh, or ever more encouraging in the sense that we've had the GDPR, HIPAA, CCPA, people, and kind of like all that, and we're like, well, this is getting complicated. We don't know exactly what's going to happen with data if we transfer it to, to a third party and kind of like, let's rethink how we do that. So it's been definitely a, a good timing in that. And you know, I'd like to credit ourselves for it, but it's, there's always some level of stochasticity and entrepreneurship.
1: Yeah, well, timing's always certainly good. <laughs> I mean, if you raise money in 2020, another round in 2021, you pretty much hit the perfect thing and then
2: of course the rest of the world kind of well we, we also is in 2022 and 2023 so oh, our, well, look this, at when you, it I mean, got real with a step up man awesome yeah so it, it, when it got real full uh yeah, yeah. <laughs> no it's great
1: because i mean this is a i mean this does not this problem of uh Data training, anonymizations, uh, you know, um, privacy, security, all that stuff. Not just in healthcare. Healthcare is the worst part of it because it's there's a lot of very sensitive data. But you know, like at my day job, I work with uh, a lot of companies that do like advertising data. You know, like TransUnion is an example that does that sort of stuff through some of their platforms. And you know, they have clean rooms that they put the data in, and you can reconcile and stuff. But that's all. I think a couple steps behind what you guys are doing. It's like, yes, it's it's in their clean room and you can, you know, minge and mash it or whatever. But it looks like what you're doing is taking it sort of to the next step. It's it's not trying to reconcile data to say that like your your audience is in my audience, is an example, which is a bad one. But you're just trying to take it to the level where you don't have to you don't have to worry about privacy. You don't have to worry about centralizing all this data in one spot, but you can use the data to train these tools, which is, they need a ton of training, obviously. That's part of the, the challenge with AI, but you can do it in a way that scales kind of nicely. Did I kind of get that right, or am I kind of off base? Yeah, I think you'll
2: get it. Uh, The point about reconciliation is an interesting one. Like You're talking, I think, ultimately about like matching data from one silo to another. Yes. Yes, that's an area that we don't do as much. We can work using tokens. So if you've already like used a, a matching product to say who is who, then you can draw conclusions on people based on data from more, from more than one one location without uh, having to identify them. So that's definitely a tool we use. Um, yeah, we're really on the like on the compute level of that. So more on the tooling and algorithm training and the ML ops uh, out of it less on the kind of, um, less on the kind of like, uh, I don't know, data marketplace of it.
1: Yeah. It's more the reconciliation to sell it or to optimize like what TransUnion does and, and a couple other ones as well. This is a common thing in the ad space, like they reconcile the reach and frequency, and then say, "Yeah, this demographic got your ad, yay!" You know, so they can figure out the currency of how much it's worth. Where, whereas this seems to be, which which obviously is like probably two or three steps beyond that. Hey, we're going to build a data ML AI pipeline analysis engine or analysis pipeline, and we're going to put these data sources in so that you can train and refine your model. But don't you don't have to worry about all the privacy things? You don't have to worry about downloading whatever the cha- like whatever the movement of data that's going to be a pain <laughs> for all the GDPR and all that stuff. We we solve that. Go go forth and build cool stuff. And in healthcare, this is especially important because of all the rich data that never gets looked at. I mean, it's there's mountains and gobs and I don't know how many. peta bytes of data that was just floating around that would be hugely beneficial to humanity if we could tap into. So um, so you mentioned that uh, you have what, about 150 users of the platform right now?
2: A bit more, but uh, the main key is that we're installed in over 30 healthcare organizations and we're um, being used for a lot of different purposes by a lot of uh, different customers and proving out more and more use cases that can be built on that platform.
1: That's great. That's great. Because one of the things that um, I found out during Jane's leukemia illness is they were trying to do uh, you know DNA sequencing to find out which variant mm-hmm. of leukemia she had it ends up they lost the sample or the sample got processed wrong. I don't remember what the whole thing was, but I remember we were trying to look at all the the studies, like what's her, you know, survival rate and whatever. And, yeah. and it, and there was, and they were all, you know, small number studies, not a lot of meta studies and hard to like figure out like, okay, what's the real good treatment plan for this? And it seems like that's, like, the perfect application for this.
2: First of all, I, I didn't say that before, so um, sorry to hear about your late wine. You. I, I I wasn't so well, but I haven't yeah. met you before, so yeah. sorry. Yeah, thank you. Um, f- this kind of use case does come up from some of our customers, and, and especially on the um, academic research side, mm-hmm. since today it's... uh was when kind of like the researcher picks and shovel space is not evolved. Mm-hmm. You can either kind of, like there's a lot of digital health spot solutions that solve for a very small use case, that's fairly kind of narrow. Um, I think most of the kind of like AI decision-making companies are kind of grappling with that while a lot of the most high-value things you could do is, as you said, like um, find additional patients and what is the prognosis? How did they uh, respond to different uh, chemo agents, different biologic agents and kind of like turbocharged, scientific research and, and, and translate it much faster into mm-hmm. um, actionable insights for clinicians. And we have, for example, like, um, we have uh, several leading institutions in the U.S., including uh, MD Anderson, uh, Dana Farber, UCSF, uh, Mayo Clinic. I was working on earlier detection of pancreatic cancer. They all have their own data uh, assets. Uh, none of them are of sufficient size to kind of really create a performance of the tool. Um Institutions like that are unlikely to move kind of like a million cases around for scientific research, but that's what you ultimately need to do with faster scientific research. And so, and especially as in, in the field of AI, a lot of the low-hanging fruit has already been picked. So it's like, okay, the stuff that's really works in the workflow and really addresses a big problem has been developed and sold. And a lot of the more upstream stuff is kind of like, it, it, it's challenging to bring it to market. You need to first, like, do, to external validation of the data. If something for algorithm. You need to do, uh, market validation of the algorithm to, do enough people care about solving this question. And so yes. I, I see us as they, you know, ultimately we, we don't just work with researchers okay. in, in academia. We work with industry researchers and, App developers, professional societies who um, are busy and regulating AI and kind of like a lot of myriad of kind of uh, users. Uh, The ultimate ideal customer would be somebody who wants to access data from multiple locations, heavy data and private data that you don't want to uh, show easily. And we are able to reduce that burden from them and that. We accelerate the time to insight, time to market, time to value.
1: Yeah, because I think this is one of the major roadblocks for a lot of AI in general. You know, um, and I and I and I and I think it's just fascinating because one of the things as entrepreneurs we always got to figure out is okay, is the technology I'm developing? Am I just developing a technology? Find you know trying to find a solution, or I'm sorry solve a problem, or do I? is this really, really nasty problem that I can apply what I'm building to solve? And that is the biggest dilemma of, of most entrepreneurs. It's trying to figure out, as you mentioned, product market fit, where's the sweet spot? How are we going to accelerate this? It gets even worse in the healthcare space because they're generally resilient, I'm sorry, resistant to change. <laughs> Yeah. Not not, not do don't, don't want to do it the way the, the new way, they'd rather do it the old way.
2: And a part of it is also because I think a lot of tech startups try to bypass the paradigm, kind of like R and D paradigm of Healthcare, and just say like, hey, I'm going to like reimagine something. And there's a reason why healthcare is conservative, people prefer humans to make mistakes and thoughts making mistakes, sort of like liability questions, regulation questions, and ultimately the whole like idea of like translational research, like getting people to actually use new tools in the right way, understand the value of them and impact on outcomes, understanding unintended consequences. These are what kind of like big big fears. And I, I don't think the disruptor mindset is always that conformant with with that. Uh, so that's like a big uh, part of what we, we try to do. Like, we, we try to disrupt something, but not disrupt the r paradigm. We try to disrupt uh, the data sharing paradigm. The fact that, like, the only way you could get access to the insights you need is by sharing a lot of data for a middleman. Right. Um, and I think on that, in that regard, we found, like, that that jives really well. Like, we, we've had customers, like, before we had a product. And uh, if at all, it kind of uh, recommends something to a budding entrepreneur, kind of like a you middle know, after three years of entrepreneurship. <laughs> you're like, an you're an expert. <laughs> like, it, like start from finding a customer. Like, it, it proceeds product. It proceeds business model. Definitely proceeds pricing model. Like, find find a customer group that fits the, uh fits your the, the intended use of your product and kind of build everything else around that. Like you you don't have a product yet, so you might not sell something, but rather do what they call a development agreement. Yeah. Or uh, you, you have an early product but it's unproven, based payments on performance. Yeah, like Interesting. Fi- Find the kind of like, find the value story and find the kind of the win-win you need in order to get somebody to work with you. And especially in healthcare, because it, it's not a space where you'd kind of like invest a year in stealth and then come out and people are like immediately, oh, this is amazing. Like what do you want? Like uh the healthcare world and life sciences world will ask you, Who is using your product? How are we using it? Are we happy of it? Do they vouch for you? Yeah. Do you like are you credible? Is yeah. your product of- credible? And healthcare and different from a lot of other industries were kind of like, there's a lot of orderliness that doesn't really exist there. Like you've installed in one hospital, the next IT system will be nothing like it. Yes, And the next one also nothing like it. And the procurement processes will be nothing like it. And the user itself will, maybe hopefully have some similarity but uh I, I, if everything is different it's really hard to scale a company but it's um it's a challenge and uh the best thing you can do is kind of like get your stuff out there and let people work, work together with you and if you're passionate about something that other people are also passionate about and you can make like, establish that that's really important
1: no, I really I really love that insight on the disruptor mindset. Cuz a lot of Silicon Valley, I mean this is the same with government. You know, you see it all the time. The Silicon Valley folks are just like, "Oh, this government process is crazy. Why aren't you guys just using technology to make it better?" And hmm. they don't understand the inherent ballast in the system and the bureaucracy and the institution. And they don't understand that the goal of government is not efficiency, it's fairness. And once you understand that, then you can navigate around what you have to do and I love I love how the way you put it because it is essential when you understand and you're in a market and you're trying to find customers that you don't you you can be disruptive, but you can't disrupt their the way they you know their their mindset, at least initially. You have to go disrupt like how we work together so they can understand it. And I love that because, you know, the same thing happened to me when I was at my digital health startup. You know, we were tracking the samples of clinical samples and it just, we found people to work with, but the need just wasn't there. And it was just, did yeah. it, it was too much disruption that they couldn't handle.
2: It, it, you have to bridge the gap between where I'm gonna to be today, and kind of like where's the ideal world that I'm imagining. And that often works based on kind of like, some of it is the macroeconomics, and the macro, there. and some of it is very really micro. Like, who is gonna pay me for a unit of my product tomorrow? And, and that's often kind of like when I, that's what I didn't like about consulting, to be honest. A lot of it was like macro, and it, it works well for like a big company who can say I'm going to like sink in a lot of effort in building this imaginary reality. And even then you often kind of like it, it, it falls from the cracks, like, you know, doing the process. But for a startup, you need to think about like, who are your early adopters. Who's going to start working with you tomorrow, leveraging your product, saying, oh, I can't do without this. And it's, um, it, it, it sounds banal, but it's a very non-trivial insight you you get after a while. I've heard so many ideas. I've had myself ideas like, wouldn't it be neat if yeah. Yeah, everybody yeah, yeah. didn't have to share data and it made the data collaborations easier? Great. Now, who are going to be the first 100 users who hear enough about this to use a new untested product? Break their teeth on your early stuff. Work on your early documentation. um, Wait two days to get a response for for you know to open a ticket and get a response. And and these are your evangelists. You have to respect them and and honor them and kind of like love them the most because you, you have the highest degree of unity with them. And after you've built something of that value, scaling it up. It's it, it it's still like a big effort and a lot, but you kind of like you know what you're offering the market. Um, and I'm and I'm talking about that especially in the tech world. Like I, I, I think that sometimes you like you know like a CRO service and I'm a better CRO service or something. I like that, you know you you can do tech enabled services that will like work better, but if, if you really want to like reimagine something, it's just really hard. Yeah, yeah, and and not
1: intuitively obvious in some cases what thing you're really solving. I mean, I've found that a bunch of times with companies that I've started and then failed. It's like, what were we really solving? And to your point about the evangelists, the super consumers that are like they're they're just they're on board, they're part of the tribe, they're yeah. they're they're gonna fly the pirate flag and can get on with you, you know, because they see the. They see the future, and it's hard to find those people. Uh, but when you find them, it is—it's magic
2: almost, because yeah. you know I, that shared that shared vision is so important. And it's better to follow your users than follow the users you you want. I I I I'd also say it was like when I started out, I'd get into calls and everybody thought that federation is, 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 is exhilarating, is exciting, is, is, you know, is cool. And everybody would talk with me about, are you doing swarm learning? Are you doing encryptions this, encryption that? Are you doing, and it occurred to me at some point that many people saw it as more like like an intellectual question. And when you got to the actual hands-on users, ones who would actually buy the product, the questions are really different. Yeah. Uh, and especially when, when you're developing like tech products, the people you, you, you want to partner with tech, but you don't want to listen to tech too Not much. Yet. Cause, cause it often takes you kind of like cer- a certain path of like building like a very feature rich maybe or something that's like, you know, exciting to somebody and you I talking a bit about you from the buyers of somebody who sells ultimately to AMCs, pharma, professional societies, okay, like that's kind of like my, my today, my core uh, offering. And it's um, like, largely providers and then industry researchers. Um, they're not looking for what like Apple is looking for. Yeah. Uh, the, the, and, and, and often, what we're looking for is to there's so much tech today, and you know, like so much like big tech, we're often looking for like something to make that technology accessible to a real world user who might not be a very early adopter of cloud, might not have kind of like a bazillion dollars IT budget. Um, one one of the KPIs we've been asked about is like, okay, how fast can you do an install? So. Out of the absolute value is technological, but out of that is just knowing how to go for procurement. Okay. So that suddenly becomes kind of like out of your value proposition, knowing how to go for procurement. It's not really, you know, like a product or tech or like a market <laughs> strategy play or something. Right.
1: That. Right.
2: No, it's true. I mean,
1: it's the solution. Like what what problem am I solving? Um and it's It's amazing, but a lot of tech companies don't lead with that. They lead with the look at my whiz bang thingy and how, how cool it is. And yet to your point, which I really love, there's the people that are going to get excited about it at the top level. And then there's the people that are going to actually use it and pay for it or are going to have to convince the people at the top level to pay for it. And so it's almost like you've got different tiers of messaging, different tiers of user that you really have to. Have a cohesive story for, but then also, God, crack must be must have been tough to like crack the nut of, okay, which, <laughs> where, which one of these folks is the one that I've got to convince? I mean, it's just interesting that, that that a lot of this stuff you see time and time again, and that's a reason why it's so powerful to talk about. It. Uh
2: yeah, well, oh, absolutely.
1: So, any kind of mistakes that you've made that you're like, gosh, I wish I would have known this before I started, or is it pretty much, uh, you know, three years in, you're like, ah, I'm, I'm riding the wave.
2: Um, yeah, it's a good question. I, I think I, I would say, um, everything you think will take time will take a few multiples on that time. Yeah, it's hard for an early stage company to run more than one use case yeah. Yeah. and one more than one like market strategy in an early stage. Even if you're building um, an ecosystem or you're building something that has multiple stakeholders, say okay, this quarter I'm attacking this stakeholder, this quarter I'm targeting this stakeholder and not kind of try to do everything at the same time if something makes sense it will click if something doesn't make sense it won't click um higher purposely uh, and I, i'd say on on the um, Hire based on demand, right? I'd say, like, you need to now, like, get into an MVP. You think that that MVP is this and that story points. Okay, so you hire this and that, take talent. Um, on the um, business side, I'd say stuff really depends on your... Uh, on your maturity, like you hire a salesperson where you're like too early, that salesperson will get frustrated because he won't be able to sell. Uh, definitely somebody who's never like sold an early stage product. Uh, and in many cases, what you were actually looking for is for somebody who's like, you know, really does business development or partnering uh, rather than kind of like doing the hard sell. Um, always optimize for usage. Don't optimize for price. Don't optimize for, um, optimize for usage. Uh, if at the end of the day somebody uh, says you got to you know create value and that's what you need in an early stage company not uh, I've heard of many startups that get to a million dollar ARR really quickly and then because they were good in kind of like finding a small market uh, for it. so it's, it's it's important, but it can't place you know uh, really like usage and momentum in, in usage. Um, my investors asked in the past when we had to talk about like which KPIs should we optimize, and I said we should optimize a KPI, a single one. I I meant like like be really good at something. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. Every quarter I'd say like is this wow, is this revenue, is this booking, and ultimately. Uh, the market will lead you. you. You can't decide for the market which KPIs you're going to be good at. You need to have a, a business model, and if that business model clicks, it will show you growth. The growth may come in unexpected ways, and it may come in a non-linear way. Mm-hmm. Um, and at, at the end of the day, I don't know, my, my bias is always um, get to the product in the hands of people. Um, that is the one most uh, important thing and, and if if you have any weaknesses in your plan, in your go to market, your business model, they will make themselves visible quickly. Once oh, you yeah. use a product. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah nothing... You have four labs using it, but nobody in you you'll know that you have a challenge real pretty you know, pretty quickly. Uh you will Can only get labs to use it once, not what. The cost of maintaining your lab relationships, ramping up, you'll you'll find it, you'll you'll solve for it. If you're trying to do something that's completely deterministic and pre thought of, then you shouldn't do entrepreneurship. Hmm. Yeah,
1: that's a good point. It's, it's, I like the whole single KPI, be good at one thing, <laughs> and then go on to be good at the next thing. <laughs> uh, too often, depending on the type of person you are, you get sort of sucked in all these KPIs and stuff. But uh, interesting. Yeah. No, that's uh, wow. It seems like a really interesting journey. Like, I mean, you know, from an MD to this, I mean, what, how was the transition from, you know, doctor seeing patients to, you know, you were boss consulting group to now founder of a startup. I mean, is it was it hard?
2: I mean, um, oh, I I went from being like a clinician, so being kind of like a high class uh, technician that also did research into an advisor who told people what to do, but never followed up. Then became an entrepreneur in a system, so I guess kind of an operator with limited liability into an entrepreneur, so an operator with maximal liability. <laughs> I can say I, I've done it in like in, in several phases, um, and I, I think I, I think it's been kind of like a good gradual step. Uh, Definitely. I'd say the, step, the one step that was the hardest for me was the first and the last, like mm. uh, going from medicine and non-medicine, going from big company to, uh, to starting a company was uh, definitely the biggest changes.
1: Yeah, it always seems to be those big transition points. But, I mean, any regrets on doing it? It sounds like, I mean... The vision of this becomes reality, a lot of people in the world are going to be better
2: off for it, for sure. Yeah, I mean, d- definitely no regrets. This has been uh, an amazing journey. and It continues to be an amazing journey. And there's no better way to learn how to be an entrepreneur than being an entrepreneur. <laughs> uh, yeah, not
1: a lot of books that prepare you for that. <laughs>
2: I read some stuff in hindsight, like after two years, I was like, yeah, that's, that's a solid point. I'm not sure if if I read it beforehand, I would have fully appreciated some of the advice. That's a good point. That's um, a very good point. And for us, it's a very exciting time because it's like the whole renaissance of privacy enhancing technologies is happening now. And so there's all sorts of like, okay, six months ago, you were trying to do something and people were like, hmm. And then suddenly it's like, "Oh, I need this now I know what i need. now I know why I need this, and on one hand, we've kind of like been kind of like you know joining the market for the right time, and part of the time we've been educating the market, yeah, and that's a very I can't really say what the blend of it is, but it's a very exciting um exciting thing to to witness firsthand when it happens,
1: oh yeah, when they finally get it right like Hey, that guy just talked to me. What I just was telling the market for a year—like they get it finally. They call me up and they're like, "Oh, you know what? We need your Bismo thing." <laughs> you're like, "What? What?" Six it, months ago, you didn't even know who we were.
2: <laughs> it's it's tough because sometimes when nobody gets you, it means you're really barking up the wrong tree, and sometimes it means you're really innovative.
1: Yeah,
2: and, and you you can you can't always know it. And like when I started with the first kind of like institutional investors somebody was like okay so like this federated thing i'm not sure if I, so say aren't you guys like moving data around into like one big data place and i was like no 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 it's it's, it's not like that so how do you get the insights if you don't bring the data and it was kind of like um and and then said what do you need is something more catchy like you should you should say something like, 'You've'." Uber of this or you're like the X of Y and said maybe you guys are like the, the github for data and we were like we're not the github for data and kind of like no I' like you know after a few investors like you buy nice thing, and I sitting like was like so what is your company doing like we're the github for data <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was like okay I'm sorry I'm sorry I'm not <laughs> I'm getting tired. I'm getting tired of it. So they're like, oh god. Yeah. <laughs> no. And you're like, that's it?
1: That's the thing. That,
2: it's not it's not true. We're not like GitHub for that. We use GitHub, but it's not uh of course. Not the replacement product. But um
1: no, 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 no. I love that. And it, it, it's it's so funny because the advice is they tell you don't do that, but then some of these investors like if you're like you said, you're out there, you're like on the cutting edge and like you're trying to like, they just cannot connect the dots for the life of them. They're like, you got to dumb it down.
2: And <laughs> It's like, what is it? It's really true in a way like people often like don't listen enough to invest to like at the end of the day, a huge part of your success is going to be determined by your ability to raise capital. And investors themselves, they're not all experts in your field, or experts on, I don't know, entrepreneurship, but they generally have a good gut on whether ideas will succeed or not. And if they don't, then they usually don't make it as an investor. So it's good, like, I don't know, like, dumbing down, but like, if you can't ultimately get to the point where you can say, like, this is my product, I sell X to Y for Z, i you know, be in trouble. Exactly. And I think it's about how you tell the story
1: and craft the narrative to make it really clear, concise, and compelling. And it doesn't have to dumb it down. I mean, I'm, I'm glad you corrected me on that because I always try to be like, what's the basic, simplest way to explain it? Because I think once you get past that, then the details flow. Like, okay, now we're going to know, understand what this whole federated data thing is. But if you can't get past that first step, Which a lot of entrepreneurs don't actually, uh, because they complicate things too much. Um, You're just going to, like you said, like you need investors. They have money. You need money. Therefore,
2: you need to convince them to give you the money. And, 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 there are people who will see what other companies do and have tracked other companies and, you know, give you the, it's just a different angle. People sometimes, it doesn't work well if we have like an operator who doesn't listen to the financier or you have a financier who's trying to be an operator. That doesn't work. But often kind of like they, if each each party brings their own skills to the table, it's required that you can't do without it. Awesome. Um, wow. Yeah. Well, I appreciate
1: your time. I mean, this has just been a great, such a great conversation. I just learned so much. and. Good luck to you at Rhino Health. I'll be calling for you. I really think what you're going to do is transform the world. I mean, seriously. Thanks again. Good luck and uh, keep in touch.
2: Thank you. It's been a pleasure.
1: Thanks for listening to the Entrepreneur Ethos Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode as much as I did creating it. My hope is that you learned something that can make you a little bit better. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do share it with friends and review it on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also join my email list by visiting theentrepreneurethos.com to get my thoughts on what I'm doing to get better as well as what I'm working on. You can also pick up my book, The Entrepreneur Ethos, if you want to learn the traits, values, and beliefs that I think we need to build a more ethical, inclusive, and resilient entrepreneur and frankly world community. Feel free to follow me on Twitter at TheDailyMBA and let me know if you have any questions or recommendations for a guest you'd like me to talk to. Also, drop me a note if you try anything we talked about on this or any other episode. I'd love to hear what's working for you. Until next time, keep getting better.